Hey, everybody. It's Michelle, and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to chasing the swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guess lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hey, everybody. This is Michelle. Erin and I just want to tell y'all thank you so much for stopping by the SpeechTherapyPD.com booth last week, as well as the Dysphagia Outreach Project booth, and saying hi to us at ASHA and telling us about your favorite episodes and sharing how through us being open about our personal walks with ADHD, with anxiety, with OCD, with PTSD, how it's made y'all feel comfortable, how it's given y'all camaraderie, knowing that you're not alone, that we're all in it together. So before my Irish eyes start leaking... (laughs) Thank you all for making ASHA 2022 amazing and being part of our first bite journey. All right, everybody. I don't know if y'all realize or not, but the Thanksgiving week episode is always one of my personal favorites. And the reason it's my favorite is it gives us an opportunity to reflect on what we're grateful for. Even if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, having that one time of year just to sit back, 
and look at all of the opportunities that you've either been afforded or leapt for. And having that moment of gratitude in your heart, I this is this is profound. And so I am hoping and I'm quite confident that today's lovely two guests will be able to inspire you in this moment to step out, to take that leap of faith and embrace these opportunities. So I get to girl fan a little bit. Okay. So I know every month we get our Asha leader. Okay. I lie. They've shifted it. So now it's like every other month we're getting our Asha leader. And I still like geekily flip through all of the pages because there's good articles in there. There's good information. I want to see what my colleagues and my peers are doing. I want to see what the greats in the industries are doing because I want them to inspire me. So I had the pleasure a while back, I think it was the tail end of July, beginning of August, of reading the Asha Leader. Um, Dog is excited too. There was an article in it called Critical Steps Before Starting a Private Practice. And it was written by two speech pathologists that have created a private Facebook mentorship page called the SLP Private Practice in Color. And I am talking about none other than Tamala Close, who is a private practice owner in Dallas, or she's from Dallas, Texas originally. Brittany, I'm going to butcher it, Desire. Okay. <laughs> and she owns her own private practice as well. Also, they're moms. So kudos to y'all for doing all the things and with tiny humans in tow. <laughs> so, yay. So, y'all. We have Tamla and Brittany with us today to fill our cups um, right here at Thanksgiving. So, ladies, thank you for joining First Bite. Thank you so much for having us, Michelle. It is definitely an honor to join you and all of you listeners out there. So, we hope and pray that we are able to disseminate some form of knowledge that we have gained over the years, and we're excited to be here. So then, Tamala, tell us what made you want to be a speech pathologist and how did you get into here? Okay, so I'm going to be 100% honest. I did not know about the field as you and Brittany did. Um, It was actually my college roommate, uh, Sarah. She came in and let me know that she was majoring in communication sciences and disorders. At that time, I was a pharmacy major. Couldn't see that happening. And that is very different, honey. <laughs> very different, yes. And I just kind of inquired, you know, what is communication sciences and disorders? And my mom is a special education teacher. Well, she's retired now. So at the time, she was, you know, working as a special education teacher over the department. And I just kind of told her about the major. She said, yes, speech pathology. We love our speech pathologists. They're awesome. And She kind of gave me the rundown of what speech pathology looks like in the schools. So I switched my major that semester, and I've been a speechy ever since. So honest to God, that's how it happened. So I'm so thankful for my college roommate because she informed me about the major. And, you know, that is maybe one thing that as speech language pathologists, now we're trying to bring more awareness to our field and what we do. So that is how I became a speech language pathologist. Okay. So did you go to the same undergrad and grad program? I did not. I went to the University of Houston for my undergrad and got my undergrad in ComD. And then I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, received my master's degree there. I met them. I met, I think it was the chair of Southern University. I was in New Orleans in May lecturing. And there was a very dapper looking gentleman Uh in a suit. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think yes. so. Yes. And he had a woman next to him that was vivacious yes, and outgoing. Regina. <laughs> yes. I owe her a text message back. She text messaged me, but it was in between. We had a season of death. Like all the grandparents passed away. So I need to text her back. But they were lovely. Yes. yes. At that time, they were some of the main professors. So they taught the majority of the classes. But yes, the wafers, we love them. They're, they're wonderful. Yes, 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 yes. yes. 
Well, huzzah. Okay. And so this is how you became a speech pathologist? That is how I became a speech language pathologist. I got interested in the field. So my journey for private practice was a little bit different. And I'm sure Brittany will kind of tell her story. And mine kind of differs. After I graduated from my ComD, I started working as a SLPA. And I was working in some of the underserved communities. And at that time, I was like, wow, I'm really the only therapist that is willing to go into these communities. And I just, you know, wanted them to have the same access to services as uh, some of the more affluent communities here in Dallas. So that kind of drove me to say, hey, I need to go back and get my master's. I need to open up something on this side of town so that these communities are served. So that is kind of um, what inspired me. And then the lady sitting on this call, Brittany Desir, also inspired me as well to step out on faith and um, become my own sole proprietorship. Uh, so I started with her as a PRN SLP. I, I was working at the skilled nursing facility at the time. I dropped down to PRN for them. And then I came under Brittany's wing and she kind of taught and led me and guided me along my journey of starting my own, again, sole proprietorship because it was just me at this time. So that is also, and I know we'll talk about it later, what inspired me to start the platform um, SLP Private Practice in Color, because if it had not been for Brittany's guidance, I probably you know, would not have had the courage and the faith to, you know, leap out there and do what my initial goal was and to really see that dream fulfilled. That's why individuals are brought into our lives so that we can do what we're afraid to do solo. I mean, hell, I wouldn't be here doing this if it wasn't for Erin and she was my student at the time. So Erin, I love you. But yes, like that is, that. this is why we have that. Now, Brittany, Talk to us. What inspired you to become a speech pathologist? Like, take me from the beginning. What was your journey like? So the inspiration for me becoming a speech language pathologist started back when I was 13 in seventh grade when my grandmother had a stroke. She um, needed all the therapies, PT, OT, ST, and I just fell in love with ST. Like with all the sessions she had to go to, I was like right there looking at everything they were doing. I was doing her homework with her and I was like, yeah, I want to be a speech therapist when I grow up. So that inspired the initial career. Um that I am in now, but the whole private practice part was inspired by a whole nother tragedy in my life. (laughs) Um, So that had to do with my oldest son, Zayden, at nine years old. Well, no, he's nine now. Sorry. My oldest son, (laughs) Zayden, nine years ago, um, I was pregnant and he um, was born 25 weeks premature, well, 15 weeks premature at 25 weeks gestation. So that led to our whole NICU experience of six months and our whole developmental delay experience and the whole early intervention. So I was like, huh, maybe all those courses that I didn't want to take in undergrad and grad about development and all that stuff about kids because I was only focused on geriatrics. (laughs) Maybe I should have paid attention a little bit more. So it inspired me (laughs) to learn about that. And he inspired me to start my private practice because there's so many kids that, I mean, have developmental delays, even if they're not premature or whatever the case may be with them. They need services a lot of times for ST. Um, being a major source of their progression. I, I got to be honest. I was the adult geared SLP. I only wanted to work with adults. I was inpatient. I loved the race of the acute. I loved the subacute. I mean, that was my jam for my CF and my Cs. And then my husband transitioned to South Carolina. Like he had a job offer down here. So we moved from Virginia to South Carolina and at the time, there's only two grad programs. So basically, if you didn't have a practicum at a hospital when you went to a South Carolina school, you were not getting a job. 
<laughs> the South Carolina hospitals. So I went into early intervention and children are gross. They wipe their noses on you. Somebody somewhere is going to get vomited on. And I have been peed on a couple of times because diapers just don't hold contents. And so I did not want to do EI, but I got into it and I loved it. And I was called to serve the least of these. And I am incredibly aware that as a white female working in the South, where all of the isms, racism, sexism, and hate are so prevalent, um, if anybody has not looked at the South Carolina news lately, it's going to break your heart. But going into homes where I had to have an interpreter because I don't speak other languages. I speak English and bad English. Lord knows I can cuss like a sailor. But that is what inspired me to continue to take students and mentor because because we need to do better and offer more within our profession. So yes. So I am so happy y'all are here today. Okay. So y'all sent me a volley of questions so that we can go through. But one of the first ones was an SLP brewer for an SLP entrepreneur. And I saw this word and I was like, what is this? I love this little like copyright. You need to copyright that if you haven't copyrighted it. I told Brittany, I said, I think we may need to trademark this term. Okay. So (laughs) folks, this has officially been trademarked. We have it on audio. This is theirs. This is their baby. Like, How do I say this word? Because I want to be that. That's cool. Yes. So it's an SLpreneur. Oh, yes. yes. So uh, we just put a spin on words, of course, with the entrepreneur and just uh, incorporating SLP. So basically what an SLpreneur is, it's a SLP, clearly, um, that's decided to step out on faith to pursue, pursue, excuse me, some type of business venture. So that could be private practice. That could be being a sole proprietorship, independent contractor. It could be a podcast owner. (laughs) That could be someone with an influencer with their own platform, website. So any form of business ventures that we as SLPs do that's related to our field would be an SLpreneur and and most importantly, an entrepreneur is a boss. So that's kind of how we like to uh, coin the term. <laughs> I love that. A boss. Okay. So folks, if you're listening on that note, may I recommend y'all go check out um, Speaking of Semantics for a Field. And oh my gosh, why did I just brain fart on the other place park? There it is. Those are some of my, they take all my money in t-shirts, but I love those three and all of them are boss women. So there it is. <laughs> and and yes. we do a little plug here. We do have an SLpreneur shirt that kind of, yeah, we have a little shirt that kind of defines, you know, what it is. So if you are looking to sport it, I sport it around. Everybody always stops and asks me, what is it? Firstly, I'm an SMP. Secondly, I'm an entrepreneur. Overall, I'm a boss. <laughs> so I am finding it right now. Y'all, their website is www. And I know I don't have to say the W's. Riley and Aaron, I heard that, but I still <laughs> am old. Give me the middle age grace. SLPPrivatePick.com. And it's a beautiful website. <gasps> yeah, there's the shirt. Decisions will be made tomorrow on payday. <laughs> okay. And say this word, SLpreneur. Yes, ma'am. All right. Got it. What steps did y'all take? If somebody right now is working in a private practice or they're in the schools and they're feeling completely overwhelmed, and I say this from a, I'm trying not to get tearful, but it is a year ago last year that a girlfriend and her um, her partner came out to visit us and they were like, you're working too hard. I was at a university. I was drowning. I was putting in 60, 70 hours a week and away from my children. And she was like, Michelle, you need to give yourself the grace you always talk about giving others and step out on yours. So how did y'all come to that transition? What steps did you take? Because starting a private practice is not for the faint of heart. It's 
fearful. When you go from a steady paycheck to like the unknown, I, oh, it makes my bowels still go. <laughs> so what were y'all steps? What were y'all's transitions? Okay. So um, after we came back home from the hospital and everything and we had that discussion, we as in me and my husband talked about private practice and the events that occurred. And he was like, yeah, you should start a private practice. And I was like, no, I don't know about that. I don't know anything about kids. I don't know anything about private practice. I'm basically from a nursing home background. So I took a pay cut to go into a private practice and work at a private practice to get a feel, to know what a private practice was, what they do, what's different, find the comparisons and the contrast between my background knowledge and what I wanted to venture into. So I did that for a year. And then at the end of the school year um, in May, I started aligning myself to become PRN and to move my credentials over into early steps as an independent um, contractor. And I did that with early steps. Can you hear me? Yes. I was going to say early steps. Is that a Texas version of are you you're in Texas too, I assume. I'm in Florida. I'm in, you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Oh, Florida has the family guide to routines based interview. You're in like the mecca of awesome early intervention, folks. This is good stuff. Okay, but is early steps the early intervention program yes. in okay. Mm-hmm. It's birth to three and natural environments. So um once I was transitioning my credentials, meaning like my Medicaid number, my MPI number, that type of thing, because I was already credential under a private practice. I had to transition it out from under them unto, under my LLC and under my group MPI and under my group Medicaid number. So I was doing that, but there's no money in that, right? So I started PRN and at the nursing home that Tam, but I didn't know Tam then, at the nursing home that Tam was working at before she transitioned to me. So once I was PRing there and then I started getting early steps referrals like wildfire out of nowhere. And before you knew it, at least in two months, I had a full 30 kid caseload and in Tallahassee and a surrounding area, like an hour away. So I went ahead and I did that for a while. I learned my early intervention way. And then um, I got pregnant again. Gosh, <laughs> yes, they do. And yes, they do. <laughs> I, um, I was high risk, obviously, from the first kid. And my husband did not want me to work um, during the that part of the pregnancy that it got, like where I got bigger. Um, so I started hiring. Um, I hired my first employee um, as an SLPA to kind of help with some of the admin stuff and my first SLP. And she took over the caseload and I was just in the background growing the company while I was at home, fat and pregnant, couldn't do anything. So <laughs> I was just in the background growing the company And when I came back from maternity leave, um, I got another employee and another contract and then another contract, another employee. And it just kept going from there. And so I started getting schools um, and I I contract with schools. We do outpatient. We do um, early intervention. We do um, Mm -hmm. our state contracts with um, Department of Disability Determinations. Um, And then... Fast forward to when I met Tam, she came on board and she took um, over some contracts as well as an independent contractor. And um, then another baby came. <laughs> and that's the a prelude into Tam's story because it wasn't my baby. It was her. That's her story. <laughs> okay. I and just love how this is all around the tiny humans. Right. Yeah. Yes. So then I yeah. got married and we have a honeymoon baby, right? <laughs> So I'm like, I have a St. Patrick's Day baby. Yours is a little bit better. I'm like, hey, I think it's time for me to to finally just form my LLC and step out on faith. And she said, all right, well, you know, let's do it. So she was there again with me every step of the way. 
I did go ahead and form my LLC. The May of 2019, my son was born December 2018, and I ventured out and started doing um, telehealth at that time. I'm home with the baby. Yeah. (laughs) And so I started to do telehealth at that time. And the whole summer, I'm just, Brittany, I'm, I'm just sending out things to local school districts and stuff around. And she, she's proofreading for me. She's like, okay, yeah, that looks good. That looks good. And just putting fillers out there to try to land my first school contract. Well, finally, I landed a school contract around August that year um, with a little small town right outside of uh, Tallahassee, Monticello, Florida. And I worked for their school district as an independent contractor. So that was my first private contract with a school district there. And I loved it. I love not having the responsibilities and the ties to being like a campus staff person, a staff member. I could kind of go, right, I could go. Carline, I do not miss Carline. I could do do what I came here to do, serve the Uh babies. Um, I did not have to get caught up in all the politics. I set my own hours. That's another good part of being an independent contractor with the district. You kind of tell them your availability. And it was the best decision for me at that time. But Michelle, was your question, what advice will we give someone who's um, looking to, to step out there? I'll touch on it, but you also... Here's the thing. There's so many SLPs that love working in the public schools, but we're not, at least in my state, they're not paid respectful for what their skill set is. And I know that, and I hear the argument, but there's state benefits and there's this and this and there's this. However, may I recommend one of the things that you can consider is meeting with a financial planner or meeting with, they have them at your bank, y'all. It's not all the monies. You can meet with them and they can help you reach those goals. This is our our 2023 bucket list is meeting with a financial planner. Because I'm like, I'm turning 40 next year. I need it. We need that. But they can help guide that decision-making because I want to, I want to live my life. I don't want to work my work all the time, right? And that's something that if you're listening, you can still have the love and the camaraderie of working in a public school and you can have the joy of serving those students and those patients that you want to work with, but you can do it just as Tamela said, on your terms. And you own your muchness here, folks. That's what we're getting at. Okay. So now when y'all were talking about creating the sole proprietorship and create and getting the NPI numbers and those Medicaid numbers, the three of us in this conversation, we have done that. We know what that entails. Could y'all kind of guide um, listeners through the process of where to turn right. to start that? My first piece familiar? of advice would be to know what setting or, or how you would want your uh, business set up. So that kind of comes with looking at your life, right? If you have young kids or if you're single, you know, it just depends on your availability, your capacity, right? Which how far into the private practice or sole proprietorship journey you want to go. Because running a private practice, you know, with five, 10 employees, you know, you may be looking at, still looking at 70, 80 hour work weeks, but it's your private practice versus running a sole proprietorship where it's just you and maybe you subcontract to two or three clinicians with two or three other SLPs. It may be more manageable for you. So knowing what design works best for your lifestyle, your family, if it's just you, that's the first step. Now, once you kind of decide that, then there are multiple sources of kind of funding, right? You have clients that may private pay. Um, you have clients that utilize insurance, commercial versus Medicaid. So you kind of want to know what the goal and what the direction um, that you want to go. And I'll let Brittany kind of talk about those processes. 
Yeah, but you're talking about branding and mission statements. When you're writing out what it is that you want, build that into your mission statement. Build that into your purpose. Yes. Yes. Okay, Ms. Brittany? Um, definitely going to need a purpose to keep you going once you um, get into the thick of this private practice journey. But um, in the beginning, like you were saying about the Medicaid number, the MPI, so if you've had the previous experience under a previous private practice, you already have one more than likely. Um, but if you don't, the MPI number is where you would start. That's the National Provider Identification. You would go to the MPPES website and enter your information, get a login, and then it comes to you within like five it's to seven easy. days electronically. Yes. Easy peasy. That, yeah, that's the part. Um, the second piece of that is now that you have your MP, um, I, I would still recommend that you already have your LLC or whatever it is that you're going to do already in place um, before you do that, because you would also need a group one if you want to go you know, big and have a private practice with other people coming under you. You would need a group MPI number as well. But with that, you still need your your fictitious name or whatever your business name is. Your tax be. ID number um, for your and business. probably your um, EIN number. Um, I would recommend that you get those two things first if you're going to go group. Yeah, your tax ID. It's like a social security number for business if you um, want to go in the group setting. But that's not necessary if you don't want to go in the, you know, the LLC version. If you just want to do like sole proprietorship, you can still use your social. Get an accountant and get a lawyer friend. And on that note, Miranda, I am ever so grateful for the lawyer husband, Mr. Andrew Ritna, because bless his heart, we were all um, daycare mommies and daddies together. And she was like, how are you doing? You know, you see the daycare mommies in the hall. And I'm like, dude, I am so done working PRN at this hospital. I, I think I want my own private practice, but I got to get all this stuff. She was like, just pay my husband in whiskey. This is the whiskey I like. And then he helped me get a tax hand number and go through the LLC process. And that was the best bottle of, what did I get him? It was four roses. I didn't go whiskey. That was my stuff. That was my grandfather's favorite whiskey, but like, bless I'm sorry, granddaddy would. That burns a little. (laughs) Oh, my husband, he's, he's an accountant, but he's not a lawyer. (laughs) You had it in the bag. So he did do that background um, stuff for me, thankfully. I appreciate him <laughs> most. Of um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, okay, we got the MPI, we got the EIN, we got the LLC. So if you want to do um, the early intervention here in Florida, they require that you get your Medicaid number so that you um, you are able to bill Medicaid and those MMAs. So that would be your next step. If that's the route you want to go, you would get your Medicaid number as a group and as an individual. So you would still need two Medicaid numbers and you just attach yourself to your group. Um, And then once you have that, you can start venturing. And I'm not saying once, like you have to do it in order. You can simultaneously do it, but your brain's going to go in a thousand different ways and directions. So it's easy to have a checklist of what you want to do. Like, I want to do Medicaid. I want to take Blue Cross Blue Shoe. I want to take this. I want to take that. But knowing what you want to do, like Tam said, is important up front. And if you have it written down, it will make it easier to go through. Okay, like first I did this. Second, I need to go ahead and credential. Yeah. Yeah, business plan. Um, I, like Tam was saying, I recommend that you do all those things up front. I'm just talking about the nitty gritty credentialing, boring stuff credentialing help. Um, it takes so much time and it's so tedious and it requires some follow-up and you might have not done anything correctly or submitted something correctly the first time and then you have to upload it again. Or It, it just takes patience and it takes you being on top of it and following up and making sure that you see the process through. So I definitely recommend that you carve out time in the beginning before you ever start taking an abundance of clients or an abundance of contracts on that you get that as a foundational piece done because it takes time and it takes patience. And if you're overwhelmed, you may forget to do some things and it will prolong the already long process. So that's my advice 
for the credentialing piece. Um, and we have to do not just the Medicaid, but their partners, their MMAs. So um, for us, that would look like ATA, that would look like Humana. Um, and every region of every state has different insurance MMAs or um, people that they work with. And I recommend that you become best friends with the provider liaison or provider enrollment, whoever's on the other side of that phone. That is your new best friend. And they help you. They guide you. If you pick up the phone and get someone that's not having a great day, kind of like call back and see if you can find a friendlier person or a friendlier voice just to connect with. It's all about networking in that credentialing process because it can be frustrating and you may not know all the answers. But once you find a very knowledgeable person on the end of that phone, you go through your questions, you go through everything that you need done at that time if you can so that they can help you along because it can get confusing. For me, the credentialing initial, it took about three months. So, and that's just in South Carolina. And our early intervention system has changed since that originally began. So a couple of resources that I plugged into when I was starting my journey, aside from bottle of whiskey and a friend's husband that was a lawyer. Yay. Thank you again. I reached out to Miss Andy Larry, who was our Skisha star. So that is the state advocate for reimbursement on Medicaid and private practice insurances. She represented Skisha, the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association to ASHA. And so she acted as our liaison so that when ASHA was advocating at like a national level on like Medicaid changes or this is coming down the pipeline for certain CPT code changes, they relay that information back to the state association so that we can advocate and be on the lookout at a state level. So your state association, and this is why we are members of our state associations, we are all ASHA and you ASHA does not pay to have a state-level lobbyist. Your state association pays to have a state-level lobbyist. So that person on that board, look for them. They should know They should know this. If they don't know this, then I have a bigger picture concern. I did that. And I also took – ASHA had a private practice beginner guide book that I worked through. That was, I don't know if they still have it, but like that was, I mean, I've got mine tattered in my grandma's chest of drawers right here at the foot of my bed, but like that was like my like SLP survivor private practice Bible that I just worked through. What other resources did y'all lean on? I would definitely say ASHA is a, is a big resource. I, I stayed on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Calling the department, yeah. They would always, you know, transfer me and any questions that I had state related, they would you know, assist and advise me and guide you. We pay these fees, guys, so give them a call. <laughs> you know, yes. call I have the phone number saved. Yes. yes. <laughs> they are. ASHA is a big asset. And then also calling those state departments. Most have been helpful. Sometimes you may, again, as Brittany said, get someone that's kind of, you know, may not be the most friendly on the phone, but I always seem to win them over. But yes, just using. Just using those resources, I use I use the of course the mentor who's on the phone with me now, uh, Brittany, who had also been through the process, and she helped it and got me quite a bit. And that's one big thing that we push with SLP PPIC is utilizing actual people as resources, right? That have actually gone through the journey. But that's it. That's why you have a mentorship. Folks, if y'all are thinking about this, there are a couple of mentorship programs available through ASHA that I would be remiss if we didn't go there. So there's the ASHA Leadership Program. There's the STEP Program, the Student Empowerment Program. There's also the Minority Student Leadership Program. But you can start forging these relationships during college and have those as you evolve along your career. Also, I have been mentored. I am still mentored and I have served as a mentoree, I think is the word I'm looking for. And how cool is it to be able to sit on both sides of that? Okay. So give me your most glorious flop. Where did you on the other side? (laughs) 
I wish y'all could have seen their faces. All three of us were like, oh, dude, I totally screwed up this. But like, what is your favorite flop? And how do how do we avoid that? <laughs> of course, a uh, credential is not a flop. It's just a tedious process. <laughs> but Brittany is very frugal and very responsible. And she has an accounting husband. So together that combination... But Brittany, she would always advise me from making unnecessary expenses, right? Unnecessary overhead, you know, going to get a plat, utilize a platform or a service or something. And she's like, why do you have that? <laughs> you need to keep your overhead low in the beginning when you're starting out. So I think unnecessary expenses is one big thing that a lot of people breaking into private practice and sole proprietorship. That's one of the biggest mistakes, right? Unnecessary overhead, like getting an office space and you're just starting out. You you may not need that yet. You may have to start out of your house for now. Maybe do some mobile intervention telehealth till you get it built up. Bringing on too many people in the beginning, right? And you don't have that nest egg, right? I'm saved up to because you have to pay your people even when you don't get paid, right? When insurance is late or a school contract hasn't paid in 90 days, people are still going to want to get paid. So, Brittany, I let you kind of talk about that overhead advice that you gave me. <laughs> That's definitely that is definitely my biggest advice because it came from experience. <laughs> so I had two blocks. So in the beginning, it, there's a yin and a yang to this. So in the beginning, I my mom's friend was like, oh, yeah, I used to work at a doctor's office. I know how to bill. And I was like, oh, good. OK, so I can get a biller. And she said she knew how to do it. Right. And so the thing with billing, my biggest advice is don't go cheap. No, mm -mm, no, just just pay what it costs to have your claims followed to the life of them and get your money. In the beginning, I just tried to find someone that said they knew how to do it. My billing was everywhere. I didn't know what was what. I didn't. It was a bad experience in the beginning. So billing flop. Um, I After that experience, I went ahead and I hired a professional billing agency. Don't regret it. Gladly pay it every single month. Um, <laughs> that's my number one business flop. And I think that happened within the first, what, six months or the first, yeah, I think the first six months. And then I was just like, yeah, no, we're not going to go this route. Second biggest flop was, like Tim was saying, hiring on more than, biting off more than you can chew when you're hiring on. Because I was growing faster than I expected to. And I needed more help in the admin portion to manage all the employees because I was still working too. I was still a clinician too. And so I hired two admins. The big, that was big, big, big mistake. Because in that, I um, I ended up going in the red. So guess what? I still had to pay people. So what that looked like is me having to come out of my personal savings to do so. Um, so don't grow in the admin and overhead department too quickly because you can go in the red because they're not generating the funds to pay themselves. So be careful with that and just pay the money when it comes to billing. That's my biggest advice, my biggest, um, my biggest advice there. Mine was scheduling. I am a people pleaser and I struggle with the people pleasing piece of it. So somebody would call and say, Hey, Michelle, we have a patient. We need a patient here. Can you cover here? Can you help here? And I would like roll with that. But I would see four patients in the span of seven hours because I would spend 45 minutes driving in between patients' houses. And that was on the grounds that there was no one else that could treat that child the way I needed to treat that child, right? It was a Jesus complex too. Like I thought I was the only one that could do it. But I learned that by taking all the students on. Y'all, private practice is a phenomenal way to become a clinical supervisor. And I learned by being a clinical supervisor and molding and shaping the next generations of clinicians that they will be uniquely equipped with that skill set such that they can go back and serve in these communities. And I mean, I have the private practice. 
and went to the university, then came back to private practice. And it is having that healthy boundary of this is where I'm willing to travel such that I can take my children to school. I can see five patients and then I can pick them up from school. My mental health, my emotional health. I mean, goodness gracious, I've lost 20 pounds. I mean, I haven't really lost 20 pounds, but my clothes fit like I've lost 20 pounds because muscle, I don't know about this whole muscle weighs more than fat business because I don't buy that on the scale. But I can tell you my bits and pieces are tighter and more toned than they were six months ago. So go team. (laughs) As we enter pumpkin pie season, I'm going to rue that sentence. Okay. So those are our biggest flops. So guys, don't make our flops. Don't stretch yourself too thin financially or with your timing and, you know, don't put too much out in advance. Now, that being said, what guidance would you give an SLP regarding like really truthfully for y'all? What does y'all's private practice life look like? I, again, would start with just saying, know your capacity, right? So know your what your lifestyle is, what the end goal for your private practice or sole proprietorship is. That is going to guide everything. So um, can you repeat the question one more time? What guidance would you give them on like what private practice really looks like? Like, I want that behind the scenes stuff. Like... Private <laughs> Sorry if y'all that the eye roll was like on point. Yes. It can look like 70 hours a week. You know, let's just be honest, you know, depending on the growth, the how how big it is. But it looks like economic empowerment. I think that's the biggest thing that we want to push because you are in control of your destiny, right? And that's by being in control of the business, which of course gives you the financial benefits of living the lifestyle that works. But it is a lot of work, but it's a lot of work for yourself. I think that that piece uh, really pushes a lot of people when they're ready to give up or they're ready to throw in the towel just knowing that you are developing something that you're making a difference, number one. You know, we're doing that as SLPs. We're, we're impacting communities. But you're also potentially impacting the future of your family and your family's family, right? So that is what keeps me motivated, and that's what keeps me going, setting something up to potentially either pass down you know, to my grandkids, you know, so I know that's a little deep, but that is what drives me. What private practice looks like for me is you want days off, but you don't necessarily get days off because it's my baby. It's my second baby. Like, even when you want to like quit on your kid or your kid's frustrating you or whatever, I really look at it as my second child. So altogether, I have three kids, if that's the case. Um, um, it, it really is a labor of love because <clears throat> it could look like Tam said. It For me in the beginning, it looked like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. It looked like me sacrificing a lot of the early years, years with my kids during, you know, their baby time, their toddler time, um, because I was focused on growing the practice. But now it looks like boundaries. Now it looks like flexibility because that's important to me. I want to be there at the practices. I want to be there at the games. So it looks like me setting boundaries and me giving myself grace because you will find that just because it's your baby and your labor of love, other people have done a very good job at putting boundaries into their lives and they have a hard stop and a hard beginning. And you have to make sure you do the same thing for yourself as well as the owner of the private practice. Because I mean, what's the point in doing it if you're not, you're missing out on life, you know, it has to be compartmentalized. Like, yes, you love private practice. Yes, you love speech therapy. But yes, you love your kids and your family and your free time too. So 
it looked like me learning boundaries and me learning flexibility and grace to give to myself to live. Like you said, your muchness. I like that term. That term. It's from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, I think the hard transition was grad school basically teaches you that you don't have boundaries. Like, let's be honest. When you're in grad school, you have typically that final year of grad school, you're running almost a full-time practicum, if not a full-time practicum concurrent to grad courses. And then, oh, by the way, you somehow have to eke out a living because you got to eat, right? And so going from my personal experience of I went to graduate school full-time, I worked full-time as an SLT in the public schools in Virginia. I was married to my very, very violent, abusive ex-husband who had I not taken up the bullets out of a gun one night, I wouldn't be here. And I always use an opportunity to talk about domestic violence has no socioeconomic status, no race, no, it knows no heterosexual, homosexual. There's no boundaries on what domestic abuse looks like. It just exists. So I got out and I use that because somebody listening is in it and darling, you can get out. There's grace and joy in the journey and mine included an Irish bartender because the accent is amazing. Um, go team. My family's Irish and Cherokee and Padawamic Indian. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, we're, we're a good blend and our gallbladders go early, but having no boundaries because of the full circle of the weight that was on my plate to transitioning That meant that I didn't know I didn't have to answer the text messages at eight o'clock at night from a caregiver. That meant I didn't know that I could say, no, I only have this availability. I, um, I, I could say, no, this is it. I will not see you at 530 on a Friday night when I am white, right? And those were, you can say that and you can set office hours and you can adhere to your own office hours. You can do that. And that's healthy. Um, also one of the things that, um, has been mentored to me repeatedly is that it is healthy as an individual, especially as a business owner, to carve out time in your week for those quiet moments and those self-care moments. So for us personally, we have coffee in the morning together, my husband and I, and, um, and you know, it gives me a time to do, like, I like to do Bible study. I mean, granted I do it on my phone, but I, I love it. Um, and I carve out time to go running two or three mornings a week. And as a private practice owner, that's what brings balance. Also, it really helps my ADD, ADHD when I adhere to my running schedule because otherwise, whoo, it's bad. <laughs> but but those are that's there's that. Okay, we have we have about ten minutes left, so I'm giving us the reminder that we got about ten minutes, and I know we have a couple more questions that we wanted to go through. But um, one of them, your resources. What what SLP groups, what resources would you recommend somebody that's listening go check out? Um, I know that I initially started um, in Jenna's group. So that's the independent clinician. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I know she her. Is, yes. She is the best person. She is so sweet. Very uh, inviting very helpful, very resourceful. She was one of the first, I believe, to really have um, a Facebook group um, that really served as a platform for people to ask questions, engage. Um, So she was one of the people also that inspired me to develop SLP private PIC, Practicing Color. Um, So I know Jenna was like, she was one of the founding fathers of this slew. You know, private SLP private practice land. Um, I know there's also some um, other clinicians. I know Ebony E.K. Verde. She's SLP contracts to coins. Um, I haven't she heard does, that one. Wait, what is what is this called? Um, she's uh, SLP contracts to coins. She she kind of focuses on um, landing school contracts. And I know she does cohorts and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Um, she's great. Um, I know she works closely with um, the Sassy SLP. Um, that's her. That's her handle. Um, let me think. It, it's 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 a lot popping up now. Um, I know we have also in the group, uh, in our group, Nisha Frazier. Um, she, I think she's the entrepreneurial SLP. She has a very uh, budding and uh, successful private practice in the Georgia area. Um, she's a good resource as well. Um, not to toot our own horns, but I think we are too. I think <laughs> you have a beautiful. Okay, so if somebody wants to look at y'all's, tell us your handle. Tell us where they can find you and what information they can find. Yes, so um, we have the um, the Facebook group. It, it, it's private, but it's open. We accept everyone, of course. Is you know answer the questions, and we'll accept you guys. And that's just SLP Private Practicing Color on Facebook. Um, and that's the group that we kind of engage and people post and, you know, do certain questions and, and look at other SLPs who are, they could be anywhere on their journey. Um, and they reach out there. We have a Facebook page, um, SLP Private Practice in Color. Um, we have our Instagram page as well um, at SLP Private PRC. But I think um, our website houses the, the most um uh, you know, if, if people are looking for, um, like, Brittany Hale, a very good um, how to start a private practice course. I think it was seven steps. So it's seven different. It wasn't this seven, Brittany? Five-part course. Um, and she breaks each part of the entrepreneurial journey down, even from branding to Staffing. She had an HR specialist on, a branding specialist, a lawyer. Uh, I'm on your website. Yes, yes, yes. She she covered every piece, uh, and it was phenomenal. Everyone really enjoyed it. They they felt as though um, they really um, got a lot of knowledge and and to to kind of start their journey there. Um, so we we offer those types of courses. Uh, we have a private practice directory even um, for uh, that we kind of do with our parents and then also with other SLPs, say they have somebody in the area, hey, I can't take this kid, you know, are you interested? So that's a, a good place for us to network. And we've also done a lot of cultural competency type courses too, because we know that a lot of the communities that we impact or of course, you know, culturally and linguistically diverse. So we 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 also kind of major in that piece as well. I love that. I want to meet Miss Olivia Hayward and interview her on branding. So please, okay. in yeah, Brittany, that's our best friend. Oh. She'll do the intros. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, she's radiant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then so. Fill us up, Brittany. What what else have we not covered? I yield to Tamla when it comes to the online world. Like Tam <laughs> is, she's definitely the brains behind Facebook and all the online resources and everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, you can do that and that does that. Like this, I am totally illiterate. Tam has held my hand in that type of way when it came to that sort of, um, I guess upsell or whatever it is to the private practice world because I know nothing about that world, the e-commerce world, the the podcast world. Like, how am I here? Thank you. I have no <laughs> idea. They sent me a giant phallus-shaped microphone and then somebody does the editing. Beyond that, I just show up and talk into that. <laughs> well, I definitely you, agree with you, all you. the recommendations that Tam made because I I got all my recommendations from her because I'm new to this. I am definitely new to the online, social media, any of the technology resource world. So whatever Tamala said, ditto. Ditto. I love that. I, I drug Brittany along with this journey because I'm like, you are too big a resource. We People need to be able to tap into you. So I begged her. And I'm like, I know you're busy, but do you mind becoming an admin? And she was like, yes. Uh, I also don't want to leave our other admin out, Taylor McAlpin. She's phenomenal as well. Uh, And she helps 
uh, with like the apparel side, so the cool shirts that you see. And she's a um, she's an independent contractor, so she can she provides us with any help on, in that arena. Um, but yes, I I, I beg Brittany because I'm like people need to be able to benefit as I did. And that's my whole thing. I just, I know that, you know, you almost triple your chances of having a successful business, right? By having a a mentor that has already been there because they're going to help you avoid some of the major pitfalls and, and, and guide you and say, Hey, don't do that. (laughs) I did that. And it didn't turn out too great. Go ahead. And, you know, and that's what we should be doing. We should be, as they say, saying Kofa or reaching back. And, uh, and 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 providing that step up for the next people to you know continue on because it's not a competition. Uh, we're here. We're, that's not what the field was designed to do. We're here to impact communities uh, positively. So yes, your words matter. That's one of my favorite. Yes, shirts. I love it. Yes, love your words it. matter. Your your actions matter. And I would give, I would give a, a word of caution. A lot of people, especially um, younger generations, I did not grow up with social media. And thank the good Lord, social media glossed over the Michelle Dawson punk rock electric blue hair guitar phase because we don't need to see that ever. <laughs> oh, I know, 13-year-old Michelle, was she was something. But um when you are creating your platforms and you're creating your image for your private practice, for your, I'm going to say it, correct me how I say it, SLpreneur, SLpreneur, I'm getting that shirt tomorrow. Um, we um, bear in mind your, how you use your voice and how you use your patient's voices. And how you volunteer your time there. You don't want to, um, I do not believe personally that a professional platform is where we, um, I'm not a fan of the tick of the talks and the reels where people look like, um, this is Saturday night and we're dispelling current evidence-based practice. I don't like that. I think that is um, a less than professional way to disseminate highly valuable information, especially when it's involved in patient care. So I would give a word of caution there for that. Also, um, HIPAA violations, when you go to post pictures of patients and caregivers, make sure that you have consent to release forms because I mean, these are patients' lives. And when you volunteer and you go out to underprivileged, underserved, honestly, it just comes down to to money and time and talent locations. Be careful how you present your um your your volunteer work because that could be misconstrued and um done misconstrued with malice. So I just like, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Also, I feel bad for whoever Debbie is because she's always Debbie Downer, but like, you know what I mean? But like, those are, that's, that's, those are real. No, that's, that's, that's real. You want to make sure that, you know, your paperwork and your documentation is in place, right? Because you want to protect yourself and, and your business, you know, and then you want to protect the patients as well. Um, and being able to make a true connection with the patients, it improves patient outcomes. Like if the patient really feels as though you are there for them and their their child, and and you know, and not a you, photo you, op. You will, um, right, right. It, you it, you will see how impactful you are. Yes. Although I got to be honest, last week I got attacked by a pet um, ferret named Marshmallow. He jumped out oh, from yeah. underneath of a patient's rocking chair and bit me on my knee. And I scared, I, oh my, thankfully because of pelvic floor therapy, I did not pee myself, but I'm going to be honest. Had it been six months ago, I would have tinkled when I screamed. But like, that was not a photo op opportunity for the land of the Instagram, but like, oh my home health. <laughs> I used to want a ferret. That's so funny when I was a kid. No, Marshmallow Man, he was like, wow. 
that was that was my graduate student second day. We all survived. <laughs> but okay. Um Brittany, Tamala, thank you so very, very, very much for coming on. Um, folks, please, please, please go check out their Instagram handle. I'll give it one more time. Um, it is, whoop, I pulled up your website. Um, SLP Private PIC for Private Practice in Color. And their website, again, www.slppivatepic.com. Ladies. This has been so joyful. And um, if y'all celebrate Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. So thank you. We do. And thank you so much again for the opportunity. We are um, so grateful that you gave us a platform to come and um, share our knowledge and our message. Yes. Always. Yeah. (laughs) Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye.